This morning our text of scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 16th chapter. One of the parables of Jesus, one of several parables of Jesus that talks about money. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Well, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him, and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Well, then the manager said to himself, What will I do? Now that my master is taking the position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as a manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? And he answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? And he replied, A hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, Make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Almighty and gracious God, you who have created all things, you who have with abundance prepared all that we need for this day's life, speak to us now and open our ears and eyes, lift our horizon, and help us to receive your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So today marks the beginning of our stewardship drive for 2017, which means that you're not going to hear the Sermon on the Mount today, but the Sermon on the Amount. (laughs) Soon you will receive by mail an opportunity to consider how you can invest in the life of our church and the many ministries that we host here for 2017, and we ask that you will prayerfully consider what you can do to keep our church alive and vibrant, and to help us relieve some of the suffering in this world for the sake of the world that is to come. So let's all rise to the challenge, and let's live out our convictions and live by our faith. Now, the amount of 
your estimates of giving matters. But what matters much more is that everyone participates. You just never know what the Lord might do when we combine our efforts in a shared vision of the future. Maybe you saw the story recently in the news about Horsehead Holding. It's a producer of zinc and nickel in Pittsburgh that filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Now, when these large and complex bankruptcies occur, usually the company's obligations far exceed their assets, and the dominant creditors then begin to drive the bankruptcy proceedings. The problem, apparently, in this one is that the shareholders get kicked to the curb, according to Gretchen Morganson, who writes in the New York Times. So some shareholders of Horsehead Holding maintain that the company is lowballing the value of their assets to let the creditors gain control of it at bargain prices. Horsehead's valuation history has continually priced its assets at a billion dollars or more. But in the bankruptcy filing, they say it's worth about 280 to 350 million dollars. Largely because they're completely writing off a new plant that they just built in North Carolina for 550 million dollars. And investors are wondering how it is that they can claim that a brand new plant is worth nothing. As I read the article, I couldn't help but think of this parable. This parable about using debt as a way of leveraging future options. Because that apparently has been around for a long, long time. And here we have the story of this clever manager. And we know that there must be some clever managers out there, greedy, perhaps, unethical, shrewd, certainly clever. The problem with this parable in Luke about a rich man and his manager is that the twist at the end is difficult to understand. How can this wealthy master praise an employee who has defrauded him twice. And in so doing, the parable suggests that the children of God should demonstrate that same kind of shrewd cunning. It's, it's a moral conundrum, really, if the parable is only understood to simply lift up the manager as a model for us. You see, the reality is this manager is a crook who's operating completely out of self-interest. He is no great humanitarian. He goes from fleecing his neighbors to trying to make nice with them in the hope that down the road they might be nice to him. He's wise enough to know that he has to use whatever remaining influence he has to create goodwill. Because ultimately, he's going to need to depend on those around him once he's removed from his present circumstances. 
And so what he has learned was not to use good people to make money, but to use money to make good for people. Now, shrewd is defined in a number of different ways, including marked by cleverness, wily, tricky. But in this sense, it's more defined by these words, astute, acute perception, farsightedness. And what is valued is the ability to take the long view to approach the future with a long horizon in view. And faith gives us that kind of perspective. Now, we all know the story of Bernie Madoff. Well, he tricked people. He defrauded people out of billions of dollars. And this is not being shrewd in the sense that I'm using the word because the future caught up to him. A day of reckoning eventually caught him. And according to the biblical narrative, the same will be true for us. There comes a day of reckoning. All you have to do is read the newspaper and you'll read about pundits who believe there's a day of reckoning coming for our country. The excesses of our present generation are being deferred for those who will follow us as we pass on a growing national debt to our children and grandchildren, maybe rather than passing on debts for which we cannot afford, we ought to show a little more farsightedness. We ought to invest in that which lasts. You see, faith matters. Education matters, and it's worth investing in. And what we worship in life matters. Many people today are troubled by the rising cost of medical care and by limited employment opportunities or reduced assets in their portfolios. They worry about the future. They worry about the future of their families. And it can lead to a kind of anxiety and fear which then leads to just poor decision-making hanging on to what we have and hoarding what is left allows wealth to have way too much power in our lives we think about it we obsess about it we spend our mental energy working out the worst case scenarios and then we begin to act as if we have no security as if we have no future unless we hang on to everything we can and I just can't help but imagine that Jesus would say to us Ye of little faith. Did you think that life comes from what you make of it? Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of criticism of how we use money in the biblical narrative, but money is not intrinsically evil. There's no need to renounce worldly possessions. But also in this parable, there's no simple view of charity that's evident here, where we just give a portion away and save the rest for ourselves. This is a much more profound and a much more liberating view 
of how to use resources. It's essentially saying there's a limited time horizon within which we have to use the resources at our disposal to create relationships in the reign of God. There's a limited time horizon to do good for others, to build something that lasts beyond our own lifetime. We're invited continually to go out and dig up our talent and invest it for the sake of the future. And investing in strong institutions like our church makes a difference. And it allows the values of our faith to pass from a generation to a generation. So the point is, look, money is going to disappear and you can't take it with you. It's like Confederate bonds during the Civil War. Money is temporary currency. And it's going to go out with the passing of the age. The smart thing is to use it for something that lasts in the reign of the Master, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's this new reality emerging. And we're to be shrewd in our investment and take a long view of the future. What we have is not really ours. We sure can't take it with us, but we can wisely use it for the sake of the future. Whoever is faithful in little is faithful also in much. Back in the 1940s, Reinhold Niebuhr delivered a series of lectures at Stanford University that were part of what was known as the Raymond F. West Memorial Lectures. And later those lectures became a book entitled The Children of Light and the Children of Darkness. The title for that book comes directly from the text of Scripture in Luke's Gospel that I read. And he wrote a foreword for that book much later in a reprinted version in 1959, the year before he retired from his teaching post at Union Seminary in New York. Of course, 1959, it was the height of the Cold War when the world was threatened by nuclear annihilation. So in reflecting upon that age, the threat looming and the way forward Reinhold Niebuhr wrote these words in the foreword for that reprinted edition. If we escape disaster, it will only be by the slow growth of mutual trust. And tissues of community over the awful chasm of the present international crisis. The slow growth of mutual trust and tissues of community over the awful chasm of the present crisis. Is that not still true? Is that not precisely what this shrewd manager was able to do? If we're to escape disaster in our present age and to 
avoid destruction inherent in the mounting turmoil in the world, will it not be because we use our resources to create tissues of community? We have several chasms today. Our religious differences, our racial differences, our political differences, chasms between the haves and the have-nots, between those who have enough and the vast majority of the world's population who are in need of the very basic things for human life, food and health, clean water and safety and security. So like the manager in our parable, we too must realize that the window of opportunity for us is closing. The time of our influence is not long. There's a new reality emerging. And we would be shrewd to realize it and to participate in it by using what we have to contribute to building mutual trust, tissues of community, and doing good for those people who are yet to come. So my question this morning to all of us is, what are we doing to build tissues of community beyond that which we're doing for our own families? Not only is it wise in terms of self-preservation, but it's where we will find true riches. Not using people to make money, but using money to make good for people. And that's what our stewardship campaign is about, friends. Let's build the tissues of community together. Your support matters. Thanks be to God. Amen.